the Sports Career Podcast, episode 238. How is energy therapy applied in elite sports? Hello, Sports Achiever, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest how energy therapy is applied in elite sport. I really do hope that this episode can support you with regards to your sports career development, interests, and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Mina Stemphill. Mina is a sports energy therapist and the founder of First Harmony, where she specializes in energy-based treatments, mindfulness training to support elite athletes and coaches with their anxiety, recovery and regeneration. As a result, Mina's worked with a range of coaches, elite athletes in a range of sports such as the NFL, rugby, football, basketball and many more. For that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Mina as a special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Mina will share her sports career journey and explain how sport energy therapy can help athletes on and off the sports field. Mina, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast show. Please share to the listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Hi, Ed. Thanks for having me. Yes, it was, it's been a very long journey. I've been doing this now professionally for the last 13 years. And previous to that, it really started off at home. Um, my mother was, or is still, a healer in a sense where she didn't really learn it um, in any kind of traditional format or educated in it at all. Um, so my very first memories of, of healing came from when I was a very young kid, probably my earliest memories were when we were watching TV uh, around six o'clock in the evening. Um, my father would come home from work and my father was um, a mechanic. Um, he had his own business, so he was, you know, always aches and pains and strains. And he would come home and us kids were watching, uh, you know, cartoons before dinner. And my mother would place my dad on a on a stool behind the sofa um he'd be like oh yeah this hurts or that hurts and she would just be putting her hands on areas on, on his body so I believed that that was absolutely normal and it was just part of what we did at home and that was fine and then as you start of sort of go around friends houses and you know you get older you realize that okay that's uh, a bit weird and um, what was going on there and it was really funny because I never really um, asked my mother about this until many many years later I was born on the south coast in Southampton um, and we lived there from uh, 1973 so it was the year I was born we my mother and my father immigrated to the UK they had come from quite a traumatic background my mother is African and my father is Indian so that mix was pretty much forbidden so, that, for the, so they had a lot of trauma and family issues that went along with that and so my mother was raised during the colonization of um, Kenya and that really brought a lot of trauma, I think, to her, you know, the family and, and how we operated. I mean, I had an idyllic um, childhood. I was, you know, always playing in nature and we had, a, a you know, a 50-acre wood at the back of our, of our house. So that was really my playground for my first probably 10 years of my life. So anyway, we, we moved from this area and as I grew I realized I didn't want to be in this small town anymore I ended up moving to London when I was 17 and I was suffering from bouts of depression on and off and one day I think I was probably around the age of 21 I ended up practicing yoga just out of 
a curiosity and a need to, to do something with my body. Um, I wasn't really into take any type of medication. I just didn't like the idea of that. So I ended up having a couple of yoga classes and that was it. I was absolutely hooked and immediately I felt this alleviation and you know everything kind of disappeared and I felt probably joy for one of the first times in my life which was quite extraordinary um you know as a kid you feel joy but as an adult it's you know it's hard to reach those places and it was really really great for me to be able to have that so I practiced yoga really intensively for a couple of years and I after that first year I really felt that this was you know, quite an extraordinary exercise because, you know, not only was I feeling extraordinarily calm afterwards, you know, my body was getting into a good shape. I was able to also use my mind in a, in a much more productive way. Um, I ended up, I was in the music business at the time, ended up um, setting up a business. Um, so lots of great things were happening for me in, in that space of time. So anyway, I ended up, having these tingling sensations happening in my hands um, after the first year of practicing yoga and I was really concerned because they seemed to get stronger and stronger and what I didn't notice at the time it was after I practiced yoga they would get stronger but it was more like more more or less quite consistent for me and then I went to the doctors and they said well you know it might be something to do um, you know, neurologically, uh, nerve damage, and they did all the tests, and there was nothing wrong. So that was quite baffling for a while. And then I ended up just spontaneously asking my yoga teacher, you know, I'm getting these tingling in my hands, and she was like an amazing teacher. She was a full-on hippie, had like a massive bush of hair on her head and you know untamed hair and hairy armpits that works she was a yogi she spent you know so many years living in the Himalayas and uh, yeah she was awesome and, and it was just so weird because she turned around and she just said to me oh that's your healing powers coming through and it was so you know in such a nonchalant kind of way and I was like what <laughs> and before I could I was kind of a bit baffled for a second and then she walked off and spoke to a, another practitioner and um I just kind of walked away and then it clicked with my mom. I was like, ah, this is what mom used to do. And I really um, felt the urge to have this big conversation with my mom and find out where she got it from, how did it work, what did she do? And I, I remember calling her and saying so excitedly, mom, mom, you know, what's this thing? I can do it. And she was like, oh, I don't know. I don't even know where I picked it up from. <laughs> I was like, no, tell me more. She, and she, to this day, she still doesn't really know. I mean, she does kind of um, say that this is something which, you know, in, in Africa, I mean, people see it as different things. It has this negative kind of vibe to it when people talk about healing and, you know, they think about black magic and voodoo and all this kind of thing. But, you know, there's so many different cultures all over the world that practice energy medicine and, and have been for you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So, you know, for me now, I know that this is very normal, um, you know, in lots of traditions. And I also know that um, most people can do this. I think it's very important that people understand that. Um, so anyway, I was kind of a bit lost with that. I was like, okay, thanks mum for the great info. And I ran down to Oxford Street and to Foy's Corner on Tottenham Court Road, which is, has a, a massive, massive bookshop. And I went in there and I just tried to find something that would, you know, educate me. And this book literally fell off the shelf and um, weirdly, and I always forget the name of it and I, and I don't have it now, but it was something like the, the magic of healing or something like that. And it was really incredible to just open up these pages and, and have someone explain about energy and how it works and, you know, how these systems within us can operate on, on levels that we, you know, are, are very much unaware of. So I, I devoured this book in the space of, a, you know, a couple of days and read some other books and I ended up just 
practicing myself and I was able to kind of bring this healing power through in a, in a very you know organized way and my friend at the time uh, I had a best friend at the time and we were just so into this and we were doing it together I mean she wasn't as into it as I was but you know we were practicing on the dog and the cat and you know any parent that would be willing and and then I really got into spirituality so I, I studied a lot about Buddhism um, I, and I loved the philosophy behind Buddhism and I started to practice practice deeper meditations so I'm going to all sorts of meditation classes and then it all just kind of clicked you know there's these moments when you just go oh, okay I kind of get where this is going this carried on for years and, and, and the whole healing thing became more like a party trick more than anything I mean I was in London I was young I was partying a lot I was working in a hairdresser's it was a really lively place to be and you know it was literally this party trick and I was also you know, when I used to wash hair in this hairdressers when I was starting out, I also learned Indian head massage just as a, something to do. And uh, I ended up incorporating that into these head massages while I'm doing this shampoo, which was part of the service. And, you know, these clients were just like falling asleep or just going, oh, my stress has just been relieved. What did you do? And I'm, and I'm like, oh, you know, just doing my thing. And then after I worked there for you know, maybe five or six years and I realized, that, okay, this is something really um, interesting. Anyway, fast forward, this was going on for a number of years. And then I was watching, I was living in London, I was living in, in Islington at the time. And I was sitting in my flat and I saw, I was watching the news and this segment came up on the news of healers that were working in the UCLH hospital. And the UCLH is in Houston, which was only a 10 minute bus ride from me. Um, it's one of the largest teaching hospitals in, in Europe. So I was kind of like, you know, what, <laughs> you know, is this for real? I'm rubbing my eyes. Is this really happening? And then I immediately, after kind of gawping at the screen for, you know, the, the 10 minutes it was on, called up the UCLH and I was like, you know, who do I speak to? I, you know, I can do this and can I come and work for you? And, and I got put through to a complimentary therapy department and I spoke to a wonderful man, um, his name was David, I, I forget his surname, and he was awesome and he was very kind, very gentle and kind of, you know, gave a giggle when I was, you know, almost demanding that I should come and work for this, for this, you know, gigantic hospital that had no idea what I was doing. And he, he told me that I needed to have a qualification in either Reiki, um, a couple of qualifications in Reiki or spiritual healing. And spiritual healing was a course which was three years and I had um, little money at the time. I was a single mum by then. My daughter was, was just a couple of years old and my, you know, the finances for spiritual healing cost, it was £3,000 at the time. And I thought, well, I can't afford that. And the Reiki courses were a lot cheaper and, and a lot more affordable. So I was like, okay. And, and I wasn't you know, esoteric at the time, you know, I'm very science minded, you know, I, I very much need to know how things work. So the Reiki course was really interesting for me because I had to find someone who was, um, had the science behind it and also was a good teacher. And I spoke to about 10 different Reiki masters um, and each one just wasn't a suit for, for whatever reasons. And I realized there was, there's a lot of interesting people in this field. Um, and eventually I came across uh, my Reiki masters uh, called Dawn and Andy. And they were a couple and they were teaching about the electric magnetic field and you know the, a bit of the science behind it. So that really hooked me in. And then I was ready to, to practice. Wow, what a first great reply. And I've got to decode this a little bit, Mina. Just for the listeners listening, I've got two questions I would like to ask um, through your journey. You know, when you go to school or college, people have like a careers coach telling you where to go next. Well, your story shares that sometimes your career happens through the curiosity of your hair or your mum particularly. So just for the listeners listening in, can you just share that 
what your journey's been, it wasn't like set in stone, like to be a lawyer or to be an agent. I just want the listeners to understand that sometimes it just happens through ourselves and what we become. Does that sort of make sense? I just want people to learn that because with careers, we feel like it's like a tick box system. And your answer of your first question, it wasn't. It was just through curiosity, but also through culture of your upbringing. Uh, I'd just like to just elaborate on that point, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. I mean, when I was young, I mean, singing and songwriting was my thing. Um, And my parents were, you know, they didn't really push education. I think they were still kind of traumatized from all the things that they had been to, been through. Um, My father's side, um, you know, they're very much into education. My dad was very much a rebel. He set up his own business. My mother was a, a mother, you know, she was a housewife. So I didn't really feel that going down any kind of academic route was pushed onto me. Um, sometimes I wish it was because maybe I would have maybe become a bit of a scientist behind this whole thing. But I decided from probably the age of four or five that I was going to be an artist. I was going to be a singer. I was going to be a songwriter. And that was going to be my life. And I, and I pursued that continuously up until those points of, of you know, having, um, you know, these experiences. And I still pursued it because I was so determined that I was going to reach the skull and that was my life path you know it had to be that or nothing else you know and I went and I learned so much so so much from the music business and I had so many different experiences set up a business a couple of businesses I learned about the music business I went to university and did a you know short courses on how to um you know create businesses how to you know do business plans and all that kind of stuff so looking back now all of those tools were useful for what I'm doing now, although I didn't know at the time. So everything was transferable. And I think that's the point when you are starting out in anything. What I discovered is that if you don't have joy within what you are doing, it's more than likely you're going to fail at some point, or you're just going to live a mediocre, unhappy life. And what I realized when I was working in hospices in particular, and I was still pursuing music. I was still not thinking this is my career. This is my part-time thing, what I do. Music is my first thing. Was that life is really, really short, really short. And you don't know when that time is up. And what it really taught me was that I needed to find joy in what I was doing. And Honestly, music was not bringing me joy. If anything, it was bringing me frustration. It was bringing me stress. Um, I was, uh, I set up a management team. I was getting so much stress from all these artists. You know, the whole business plan, financial thing was always just, it was fun doing it. But then, and and singing was always quite fun. I, I didn't really like being in a studio for hours on end recording, doing take after take. So I I realised that I'm not getting any joy. I've just set my mind, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. So I think that, you know, for for listeners, I think that it's great to have, you know, something set in your mind. I think it's important to have something that gets you up in the morning, that, you know, gives you a bit of drive. But I don't think that people should set in stone what their careers are going to be and you know now working with athletes and and seeing how you know they a lot of them have been programmed into their careers it's really interesting to know that you know the ones that are transitioning out of their careers or have had injuries that are making forcing them out of their careers they're now finding joy in something totally different from what they were doing and it was always this inner self kind of thing oh well I've always wanted to but I never dared to or I've always wanted you know and it's that kind of vibe that I get from a lot of people so I'm very interested in pushing that point um, to people to just say you know we really don't live long enough to have these ums and ahs absolutely and there's one thing I just want to touch on you said right from the beginning which has really inspired me with this podcast and one of my biggest learning lessons actually interviewing over 200 people is being mindful of different cultures where people are brought up like right from the get-go I'll be honest energy therapy was not introduced to my upbringing in the UK and I just want you to share if possible like the importance of being mindful of different cultures and not just from a medical practice, just in general, because 
I think sometimes we don't respect that. And that's why I remember from our first WhatsApp call, I was so curious and fascinated of the work you do because it wasn't introduced to my life. But, but on, a, on a little related note, relating to yoga is something I'm doing my morning routine meditation in the morning it's only now where I'm doing it I wish I did that in my only teenager years but I just would love you to share it's so important to everybody just be open-minded to new practices if that makes sense then just saying oh it's a fad it doesn't work because I don't think that's the right attitude but sometimes we're not educated this so I'll just love your thoughts on that if that makes sense like the importance of being mindful of different cultures and different beliefs in the spiritual world but also medical world as well yeah I, I think it's really it's so, so interesting to kind of talk about that subject because you know I was raised in a small town you know no one was doing this sort of stuff ever and then when I moved to London you know we had we, you still have so many weird and wonderful people doing different practices coming from all different parts of the world it's like a big melting pot so when I moved to London and my friends became you know, I was hanging out with Muslims, with Africans, with Indians, with, you know, Romanians and everyone, you know, I'd eat their food and, um, you know, go to the houses, we'd share, there was a lot of sharing going on. It was, it was such a lovely tribal um, environment and, and, you know, which I, I, I now live in Germany, by the way, you know, back to a kind of small town. Well, Munich isn't a small town, but I'm kind of in the suburbs. So, you know, I've, that contrast is really, really, um, it's crazy because, you know, when you're in London and, you know, you are going to someone's house and they, you know, they have a, a shrine of the Buddha or they have, you know, Ganesh or they have, you know, some religious practice. Everyone's very respectful of that. You know, no one, unless you're, you know, kind of not integrated into London life. I don't think anyone kind of, you know, really mean or or anything like that it's a very open environment um to, to everything so i kind of felt that you know working in in the uclh and then onto st john and elizabeth's hospital and then st joseph's hospice was really wonderful because they integrated all different types of therapies and whether it was reflexology spiritual healing reiki you know all these wonderful things which became normal I mean when you go to London and if you live in London you, you know that that you know these things are everywhere so then moving to Munich and you know it's, it's very much homeopathic based here they still have very it's very science everything has to be proven and all that kind of thing they do have their you know woo-woo therapies but they're not as well known or used within hospitals and hospital environments hospitals and hospital environments so it's very interesting to see that contrast and you know if you go to someone in london and say oh i practice energy healing oh great you know i know five or you know people will do that and here they're like oh what's that and you know you i think wherever you come from in the world um i mean if you're raised in a small village you're not going to know anything about this but since you kind of go outside it's a, a different world altogether when you go to the big cities and I think what's happened over the pandemic has been really interesting because people have got desperate to a certain degree to ease their mental health their anxieties and their stresses and you know we've been kind of locked in and all we have is YouTube Instagram all these platforms you know reading a book things that you probably you know yeah you do all this stuff when you're you know, walking around you at work with your phone in your hand, but people are a lot more mindful of it now because they're looking for solutions. And I think what's happened has been this massive explosion of people just really needing to understand and be more mindful of other people's cultures, which has been great. And, you know, I think we have a lot to be grateful for nowadays that, you know, we starting to look at our energies, how our bodies work, the mind-body connection in particular. Where does stress, anxiety come from? How do we avoid it? How do we manage it? How do we not get sick? And all of these solutions come from Eastern cultures, I believe, and traditional medicine, uh, which is around, you know, drugs and pills and all that. They have their place, don't get me wrong. And obviously, you know, we wouldn't be anywhere without 
these wonderful doctors and nurses but the integration of that i think is really really important for a lot of people and some people are just going straight down maybe the plant medicine route or just energy healing or whatever and that's totally everyone's you know own way of doing things but um working in hospital environments i could see how each thing complemented each other and and that's what this hospital in particular uclh was doing a lot of research about and you know okay we can do this we can give you an operation we can give you drugs but why did we get you here in the first place why are you here now and it was always down to mostly stress anxiety trauma so those are the things that i focus on a lot with my clients firstly thank you so much for sharing because that's the reason for this podcast is to educate and people meaning you guys the listeners can take the knowledge that you connect with i think that's the thing i've learned from you mina is like listening to what you've been saying and going get that point Hmm, i question this point because i need to know more information about and i think that's sometimes as you say in the medical world we always just want to get better but not think about the methods because we're just thinking about our health but look just pivoting now with your career how did you get involved working with elite athletes just paint the picture to the listeners when did this get involved with regards to your career now out of of interest so that's a really um interesting story in itself so i did make a plan to move to the south coast to bournemouth and then i met my husband in between that and he was like well i'm not moving to england why don't you come and check out munich and i was open and you know i was very much in love with him and would follow him anywhere and ended up getting to Munich and just seeing, wow, this is amazing. It's a beautiful place. And um, yeah, the culture is, is very different, which takes a lot of getting used to. But, you know, it was a lot of nature and that's what I wanted for me and my child. Um, anyway, we moved here about 10 months after and I set to work with my husband in creating a bigger family. So we had two more children who were amazing. And I spent that time being a mother. I was still working with some people who were at end of life, um, who had aches and pains and, and stuff like that, or issues basically. Um, so I was working from home mostly. I had a, a practice room in Munich as well, which I would use. And then when they were kind of all settled in their schooling environments, I was ready to go back to work and I had no idea what I would do because I realized that my language skills were absolutely terrible and I was not going to be able to work in hospital environments so I was like well what do I do you know do I need to retrain and it's something that a lot of people you know obviously come across especially women after having kids so I was I was at a loss and you know I ended up just kind of giving it up to the universe because I was spending not sleepless nights but it was a lot on my mind and I wanted to just find my path and uh we even considered at the time moving back because i was like well i could get these jobs in these hospitals still and you know i love it and my husband was like no we don't want to move back to england i was like yeah you're right and i ended up so one day my husband came home from basketball practice and he told me about a friend of his who actually lived down the road from us and he was a player and my husband is playing amateur basketball it's not professional and he had an Achilles tear his friend and it was a year ago a year before and he was in a lot of pain still he wasn't able to walk properly um he had a lot of depression he had kids couldn't play with them so he was really, really upset he's coming to practice sitting on the bench and getting frustrated anyway I, he was like what, what, why didn't we help him and i was like well okay so i spoke to him on the phone and he was you know, very reluctant to try it because, you know, he's very, you know, just didn't believe in any of this. And I was like, okay, well, it's up to you. I'm here if you want to. And he he ended up coming to my house and I put the table out and we had three sessions in a row. And after the first session, I wasn't expecting him to kind of carry on. He was so skeptical, but he was able to feel a lot of sensations. So when you're doing, um, you know, these therapies, um, some people, well, I think most people now that I work with, you can feel the process happening. So you can feel like tingling sensations. Um, you can feel, you know, the process of healing actually happening in the body, which is quite, you know, unusual at first, but it's very, very relaxing at the same time. So he kind of had the session and he went into a nice meditative state and had a good rest and he kind of got off the table and he just said, wow, what was that? 
that was amazing he was so enthusiastic and and just happy to have felt something was was moving within his body so I said well let's do three sessions in a row just to keep the momentum going and it's funny because at that time I wasn't really thinking about you know, oh, this is how I work three sessions with athletes, but now it's what I do. It's a three session kind of program. Um, and so we did one after the other. And the day after the first one, he texted me on his way to work and said, I can't believe that I can walk properly. And it was his, it was his colleague who was walking behind him that said, oh, your, your walking's better. You know, you're putting both your feet on the floor. And I was like, wow, cool. Um, and then the next day he came and it got better. And then by day three, the depression had lifted and everything was great. So it was really amazing um, to see, you know, how that worked for him. Because when you're working in hospital environments, um, you know, you don't tend to see that person you know, the day, three days in a row, you know, they're always doing with different therapies or chemo or whatever operations, just quite spaced out. So I was like, okay, this is, we're onto something here. And then it was my eureka moment of like, ah, athletes, <laughs> um, you know, and my husband was like, yeah, and he knows a lot about sports, which was a good thing. Uh, I knew nothing. And we are surrounded by these amazing teams. You have FC Bayern on the doorstep and, you know, the Bundesliga obviously is here and we have American football players, volleyball players all in, in the town. So I set out to contact them and LinkedIn had just become my buddy. And I was, because I was looking for work at the time and uh, I contacted a bunch of athletes um, in the area to see if they were up for trying it. I told them my experience. And the first person who wrote back to me was a guy called Lucky Dozier, and he was playing for the Munich Rangers, an uh, American football team, and he's African-American, and he was based here for that time. And he was in good condition. He was just had the usual aches and pains when, in, in recovery when, kind of, um, you know, after game, after practice. And he came and had a session. I, I rented this brand new room just to, you know, kick my, my career off. And he came to the room and he had a session and he, and he literally jumped off the table after and was like, wow, why is no one doing this? What is that? And I was like, okay, it worked. And he was like, oh, I can feel my calves. You know, there was so much tightness in his calves, they'd soften. And again, he could feel this whole, whole process happening. Um, so we had that one session and he felt great afterwards and he started coming back for more, he started telling his friends and it just kind of grew from there. And so this was five years ago and I just, and I ended up getting really into this because I was like, okay, I need to find out what's out there in the sports world. So I did a, a Google form and I sent it out to, by then I connected with a, you know, a ton of people on LinkedIn. So I sent out this Google form to hundreds of athletes and coaches all over the world, like top ones, NBA, NFL, just went for it. And I was so surprised at how many people got back to me. And I developed a lot of great friendships from there. And, and I think that was really what kind of helped me to where I'm working now, because I think networking in particular, you know, to the listeners is something which is so important when you're trying to you know, get a business started. Um, it's not about the money, you know, because if you're just going out for the money and you're going out there with, with heart and wanting to, to help people change people's views or, you know, enhance something, you know, people will do see right through that, you know. And, you know, I think a lot of people know that because, you know, when you're getting, you know, maybe bombarded with emails or, or, or whatever from different companies, you know in your gut who is genuine and who's not so you know I was just really intrigued by why is the athletic world not using any alternative therapies I mean not even acupuncture yoga was just starting to come in um, meditation was something which you know a few people said yeah, yeah I meditate um so I was really okay right let's see what we can do here so on this form I wrote what would you know are you interested in energy work do you know anything about energy work would you like to try a session and what would convince you to try a session and and basically you know these tick boxes or whatever on there and then a lot of them were just coming up with the same answers which was like we want to know the science behind it we want to have testimonies from other athletes 
and yeah the experience would be good so quite a handful of these people ended up treating for free in the beginning and they were just like great and they would you know a couple of them gave me a testimonial in the beginning which was great and that was it so when I had this these couple of testimonials my you know website was launched and all that kind of stuff and yeah it just grew from there so I think just having those few wonderful people who are still great friends now you know really support you and understand what you're doing and also also feel the effects of how it feels for them um so then that really opened the doors years later I mean it took a while to kind of work with some of the teams but it was obviously obviously I mean it was more to do with the fact that these coaches trusted me you know I'd work with them we built a relationship because with the sports world I, I found it to be very closed off you know extremely closed off and it was kind of like you know I'm this you know I'm, I'm in Germany for example and there's not a lot of people of colour here or let alone working in sports um, and I was a woman of colour coming in saying I can do this and they were like mm, you know getting no replies and growls and frowns or whatever so um, it was interesting to you know see the dynamics and how it worked in different parts of the country and how you know the states were a lot more open some people in the UK were a lot more open but the athletes as individuals were the ones who were definitely the ones who were like okay can you enhance my performance can you help me to get you know heal my injury quicker are you able to stop me from having this anxiety and overthinking and stress and you know if you can say yes to all of that and prove it then then you're in and, and that's basically what happened and yeah it's it was an incredible journey up until now and continues Mina, just for any listener listening in, particularly athletes, uh, could you just share what you provide? I know you gave a snippet of the three package, but just for what you've just said right at the end, like, could you just share the services you provide? For example, is it more for high performance or is it more for injury or is it a bit of both? Um, just for anybody listening going, I'd just love to hear a bit more. So if they want to connect with you, they can, if that makes sense. Sure. Um... Well, it's a bit of everything. I mean, when somebody comes to me, the first thing that I, you know, obviously have to do is, is have a consultation to find out what it is their needs are. Um, so the different areas that I work in are trauma release. Um, I think that's really the most popular and best way of working with someone who wants to be a better performer. The performance angle usually comes last um, in the list because I feel or, or discovered more so that a lot of athletes are secretly suffering some kind of trauma you know physically emotionally mentally um, from past issues and it could be you know having a bad coach at some point you know maybe parenting maybe girlfriend issues or, or whatever it was childhood issues and this all seems to get suppressed because you know being an elite or professional athlete has to come foremost first and foremost in your mind and all these other things get pushed aside and i i really felt that people that had performance issues in particularly um it was related to and, and injuries as well it was always related to um, some blockage, you know, some energy which was blocking um, their system from being able to be the person or, or elite or professional athlete that they actually could be. So um, when I work with someone, we have a consultation and usually it's quite surface what we're talking about. You know, no one wants to go deep with anyone that they don't trust um, or know, should I say. And when you have that first session, which is also done remotely, so I, I can work you know, over Zoom, as well as in person. Um, it's just about people feeling this work for them more than anything. And I think once people can actually understand, okay, this is working, this is, I can feel this, I feel better afterwards, you know, my pain got better, um, you know, I feel lighter, um, then you kind of can establish a trust because they trust the energy, you know, they trust what I'm doing, they understand what I'm doing, I'm able to kind of explain it to them scientifically as well more than anything. And then the next session is all about going a bit deeper 
second. Okay, so you have a performance issue, you know, you're suffering from anxiety on the pitch, maybe, um, you know, where's that coming from? And, you know, most people don't know, but at first, and then when you kind of have this type of therapy, um, you can kind of feel where in the body this emotion is stored. Um, and we do a process um, during the session, once you're in this kind of meditative state of relaxation. So I'm talking through the session and I'm helping people to get into this meditative state. I'm using their energy field or, or supporting their energy field, should I say, um, and bringing in the energy field, universal life energy, whatever you want to call it, um, which scientifically exists, you know, just put that out there. It's not a woo-woo kind of fact. It's a scientific fact. Um, and then you're able to tap into you know the body not so much the mind because the mind will always kind of try and cover anything up that doesn't want to be addressed so when i actually work in this trauma situation with traumas with, with people should i say um i don't need to know anything about the trauma at all so that's really a, a wonderful safe space for that person they don't have to have lengthy conversation about you know maybe some abuse or some you know horrible thing that happened to them in the past which i think is really important they use the feeling yes. got you exactly so they will have the vision I, i'll ask them to bring up the memory of something or the body to bring up the memory of something not so much the mind and within their body they will feel an association so they could have been having lots of injuries on their leg which you know is quite normal nowadays <laughs> it seems a lot of injuries happen and the reaction could be within the leg or it could be in the stomach, usually the stomach, the heart, the chest. You know, people get a lot of tightness in this chest nowadays where this energy gets stored. And then together with that person, we're able to go in and either remove that energy or disperse that energy. And with energy, it's, it's something which is real, it's tangible, it can be seen. I mean, the, the technology now, you know, you have these devices, this hardware and software, we even connect to it and you can actually see an energy field inside and outside of the body. It's been around for the last couple of years and it's super, super expensive, but it's something which, you know, if someone's a skeptic, you can just go onto YouTube and, and have a look, you know. And so you can see this energy reduction happening. And you have devices in sports that, you know, with, with frequencies and stuff like that, that are made to do that, reduce the energy of the EMFs around, you know, these injuries and stuff. So it's more or less the same thing, but I'm just doing it naturally. And then you go in, you remove this, people feel lighter, they feel better. That's that second session. Third session is all about colorating everything together um, so they understand that you know their stresses their strains past has a root you know and that the accumulation of that stress the layers that have been built up upon that are what is causing this issue that is happening today whether it's performance injuries or whatever so once people have the knowledge of that and they can feel where that energy is and they can really be aware of what different areas in their life are causing them that stress causing them that anxiety then they can go on and eliminate that stress or reduce it or talk to that person that was causing them stress in a more kind of a human way you know because everyone when they accumulate stress it's all about anger and stress and talking about that person and say oh he's doing this and not confronting that person on a one-to-one -one level and you know on a heart level and I think that's what this if you want to talk about the spiritual aspect of things what this energy um, therapy does it really connects you back to you know the spiritual self you know which we all lose along the way at some point um, and having that connection quite quickly um, you know it's not going to take 20 years of meditation or you know seven years of yoga to reach that space it's almost quite immediate um, so this feeling of of warmth of you know relaxation of, of, of love ultimately um is what can come through and it's used then in different areas of their lives to kind of work it out basically i find this really interesting and i hope the listeners too because i get your point with the stress it, i'm going to put my hand up sometimes it's like a bubbling kettle ready to just steam up and it's sort of trying to reduce the steam internally just getting back to your career now what have you enjoyed the most from your career journey looking back 
to when you started in London, you know, with your bit of yoga, starting in the music industry. Just what have you enjoyed from your journey looking back right now? Mm. It's funny because that question has come up a lot recently and, and I had to really think about it. And I adored working in end of life care. And for me, I think it was the most important part of my life. And I really feel that, you know, I tell people nowadays, it's like, you know, if you're feeling down or you think, you know, your life is hard, go and work in a hospice for a week. <laughs> it's life-changing. And I remember that first week I, I worked um, in the hospice and, you know, I did want to run away. I was like, oh, I don't know, I'm kind of in over my head. And I had had a little bit of practice of working with people who were dying. And I really felt drawn through my experiences, through, you know, the people I'd worked with that far in, um, you know, in that, in that first year of working in a hospital, it was really incredible to meet and work with all these different people that are coming in with all different things. And yes, some of them died. I mean, I worked with HIV patients. I worked in tropical diseases. I worked in the oncology department. So you do see patients come and go, you know, literally, you know, whether they go home or whether they go into hospices and die. And for that last six months of working in the UCLH, I ended up working in the ICU unit and this was forbidden when I first went there. They said, you can go anywhere in the wards, wherever you want to go, but don't go to the ICU. And it was in the basement. It was like that forbidden button. And I used to hover over it. Oh, I'd love to just go and see it, you know, just to see what's happening. I was so curious about what happened down there and how they treat patients. So anyway, six months in, what had happened was my supervisor had got so much feedback. We'd got so much wonderful feedback from doctors and nurses. By then I was you know, giving these talks to, to some doctors and nurses who were really interested in what they were doing, um, talked about my work, how it worked, and how it complemented their work. So it was really a wonderful integration with most of the doctors and nurses there. But, you know, there were some obviously which were just like, well, you know, very stuffy and weren't going to have any of it, um, which was fine, you know, you get that everywhere. So one day I said to my supervisor, um, can I go down to ICU? And he said, well... I'm not going to say yes and I'm not going to say no. He said, but I've got the feeling, he's very instinctive, he's a wonderful man, and said, I've got the feeling that you're going to do what you want to do right now. And I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm going to allow it, um, but I'm not going to approve it. So I was like, oh, yes. So I went over to the lift and I pressed that B button and my heart was racing and I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if I'd be welcomed. Um, and when the procedure is when you go into a department, you have to check obviously with the, the nurse in charge or the doctor in charge of that ward. So the doors open and it was really, really quiet apart from these beeps, beep, beep, noises just going off everywhere. And I was like, oh, okay, this is different. And I stepped out and there was no one there, no one at reception. And then I was just about to turn back and this, you know, angelic looking doctor kind of waltzed up and he was like, oh, hello, what are you doing here? And who are you? And I, you know, flashed my badge and said, I'm from the complimentary therapy department. And he immediately just said, oh, we've heard some great things about you guys. Do you want to get to work then? And I was like, oh, and half of me was screaming, no, I don't want to do this. And then the other half was like, no, go on, just do it. And so I, was, you know, composed myself and said, yes, of course. And, um, he said, you just have to ask the nurses on each station, you know, who you can work with. Most of the people, all of the people were in a coma, whether they were dying or they were trying to get them to recover. Um, there was, you know, just two options basically at that time. And I went in and I started to work with some patients. And if you had the nurse's permission, that was great. Or the family would, would normally be there. So the family had to approve it. Um, and at that point, you know, the trust had been established within the environment of the hospital that we were doing a good thing. It wasn't harmful. It was helpful to families as well. So I was working with families, you know, helping them with stress and anxiety as well. And I remember working very awkwardly with this hooked up woman. That was my first patient. And she'd been knocked over in a, in a car crash. And she was an alcoholic. So I knew the backstory about what happened. 
I kind of did my thing, which was, you know, just kind of going into a meditative state and you place your hands on different areas of the body, um, starting from the head downwards and just connecting with this energy system and, you, you know, you try to reignite certain areas, whether it be the brain, obviously in that situation, it was mainly the brain. I just remember trying to be so careful about the wires and the tubes and this the anxiety had gone I mean when you go into this state it's very calming for you as well as, as a practitioner so it, it was a very beautiful experience very unique um, and different I'd worked with a few people who had been in that state before in different situations throughout my life um, but this was different because you're in a ward the machines are going the nurses are rushing around you're hearing crying and you know from you know it's not ideal <laughs> but by then you got used to working in those situations anyway that's how it went on for that six months i would work on other wards but sometimes when i was feeling strong enough um, i have to emphasize that because you did have to be emotionally um well enough to work in that department times i wasn't it was like you know i had my own stuff going on outside with single mom and you know there was occasions where I was like oh no I just can't do that today and sometimes you get called down and you'd have to refuse you know it's very important as a practitioner that you are 100% before you work in these situations. The first experience that I had which you know transitioned, transitioned me into working in end-of-life care was I had this experience with a, a young girl she was 17 years old she was in the ICU she'd also been knocked over by a car and her parents were there when I went in to, to treat her. They were up for it. They was like, yeah, you know, they were obviously very upset. It was touch and go. They didn't know if she was going to make it or not. And I did the session on her and the parents as well. I, I treated them as well afterwards. And it was very beautiful. It was, it was very calming. And we all kind of really connected. And it was really nice. And I could feel this energy going through this, you know, this girl's body. And she had like really bright red hair you know, long, bright red hair. And, you know, she was very pretty girl. And I was just, you know, you have to really connect with people on, on a, you know, it's, it's unconditional love. And then I kind of felt something had changed. And I, I, I didn't take, you know, I didn't really take much notice of it. I just thought that was great, felt things happening. And, you know, and then I went back and, you know, did my thing with other people. And anyway, a couple of weeks afterwards, I was up on the wards and I see this massive red hair and I was like oh it's the girl she woke up amazing I walked towards her and she kind of sits up in the bed she was I think she was eating something or reading something her parents were there sitting next to her and before they could see me the parents she saw me and she's her eyes like widen and I've got the smile on my face about to say oh and she says I know you and I was like oh, oh no where's this going and I was like oh yeah I came and treated you in the ICU and she said but how would I know you and I was like oh, I don't know and I'd read a lot about out-of-body experiences consciousness and all that kind of thing so I, I was kind of like I'm not going to say it I'm not going to say it. it's too weird um and anyway then her parents were like you know do you remember that were you awake and they obviously knew that she wasn't you know she was um, on life support and then we just had this conversation and I don't remember this conversation I think oh, my brain was too busy going oh my god oh my god oh my god this is weird um and that was it and then afterwards I kind of came back down to earth and I realized that okay this woman had had an out-body experience um she was watching me basically treat her in this situation and we talked about it and I was like okay this is real this is real so from there I really got into realizing that okay what happens to the body after we die um and you know Buddhism really explains a lot from my point of view it's, it's a wonderful explanation of what happens so I then realized that therapies like this are fantastic for people in that transition stage and for their families and I then you know got some great paid work at the um St John and Elizabeth's Hospice, which was a, a private hospital, an amazing place to work. And then I also worked at the same time in St Joseph's Hospice in Hackney. So I was working exclusively with people who were dying. Um, so whether they were old and were dying slowly, 
you know, over the three or four year period that I was there. So I've got to know them and hang out. And, you know, a lot of the old people, they want to give you advice all the time about life, you know, live your life to the fullest, don't take any crap, you know, life's too short, all that kind of stuff. I've got so much wonderful advice on that aspect of things from these wonderful people. A lot of them I adopted as my grandparents. They adopted me as their, their grandchild, which was beautiful. Um, and, you know, there were people that were in there who had three, six months to live. And, um, you know, that was really difficult at times. Knowing that being able to do what I do and to help them to come into alignment with that, to help them to reduce pain more than anything. Um, after chemo as well, it was really important that they, you know, these, these therapies were used, you know, predominantly to help chemo patients' symptoms. Um, so the sickness and all that was alleviated. So that was really great. The pain gets worse until you're kind of on the morphine stages. So they had a, the ICU unit there as well. So I was with people while they were dying. And I think that it, it, it sounds really morbid when I say it and people go, oh God, I'm never going to do that. But it's the most beautiful and wonderful thing I think that any human can do for anyone else. And I think when you experience that multiple, multiple times, it really makes you understand the importance of living life to the fullest, you know, and not staying stuck in situations as we do, you know, staying in that relationship because, you know, oh, if I leave because, you know, I'm not going to be able to afford this or afford that, or, you know, I can't leave this team because of whatever. And yeah, I know there's contracts and all that kind of stuff or whatever, but I think more importantly, it's about you have to live life to your fullest potential because at any point, it's over, you know, and, you know, I've had people come into the, the emergency room, you know, on the stretchers and they've been awake for that, you know, five hours where you go in and you're just working with them and then within 10 hours they're dead. So things like that, it may really opens up your, your eyes to what's really going on and that life is so, so, so precious and we really, really need to live life to our fullest potential every given second and if we're not go and work in hospice <laughs> Nina you, you've opened up my eyes um oh, I think you can tell by my reaction I'm a bit lost for words just the stories you've just shared I there's times I couldn't even comprehend a question from that experience but I just want to thank you for sharing those so especially the girl with the big bushy hair of that experience because yeah, sometimes it's just lovely just to listen, then to talk. And that was a moment where I'm still pretty speechless now. Look, Mina, um, I like to finish with an inspirational question. You've provided real experience. You've shared your knowledge and what you specialize in. But for people who want to understand what it takes to work in the sports industry, particularly with athletes, what three tips would you give to people who want to work in the sports industry, but with athletes, so they understand how to do it the right way? That makes sense yeah i mean if you look at it from an alternative perspective working in you know the sort of practices i do alternative therapy then i think the best way is in through the sports medicine departments um if you have qualifications in certain areas um being certified is one thing but you know having a a, a degree in in psychology or, or whatever will, will always help you to kind of get more in the door um i don't have that i'm going on my experiences and you know building up a profile um and if you're doing it my way then you know working with with uh, some people for free in the beginning is very very important because no one's going to pay for something they don't know about um and and not being afraid to ask people for testimonials. I took so long to ask my clients, you know, because it was like, oh my God, I'm so big on like confidentiality and, you know, wasn't quite sure if people would really want to do that. And, you know, one day I just woke up and said, well, I, I really need to ask because this will really help me. And I'm sure that I've made some great friends now and maybe they help me out. So, but it's all about building your, you know, genuine friendships with people, you know? And I think when you have found your path, it's not much effort, you know, if you're radiating 
um, good energy, people will just be happy to help you. So just really work on, your, on yourself first, your confidence, your skills, get into a place where you feel that, okay, I've got good experience in this background. And then if you want to work in the sports industry, maybe get in a qualification. And I think whatever background you're coming from, just being persistent and also having a very, very, a very clear goal, visualizing, visualization I'm really big on, so visualizing your outcome of you actually working in this industry that you want to work in, whether it's sports or whatever, and seeing it being successful. So whether you're doing that through breathing exercises, meditation, through your exercise routine, at the end of it, just see your vision. Um, and usually the body will just cooperate, the mind cooperates. So, okay, that's what you want me to do. Okay, we're going to do that. Um, if you're thinking stress, anxiety, you know, you're feeling, you know, you have imposter syndrome, whatever, your body's just going to follow through with that. So it's building up your confidence to know that these are just human beings, I think, as well. Is, uh, you know, we kind of see athletes as superheroes and they're very human, um, as we know, really deep down. And I think that it's really important that you connect with them on a human level. And if you have any anxiety about addressing these people because you're a fan, which I think helped me because I knew nothing. So if I work with most athletes, yeah, I'll do a bit of Google, but my husband will be the one that's kind of like, oh, you know, and my husband knows because he has to do all my invoices and stuff like that. And he's part of the business. So, um, yeah, he's the one that has the, the fan meltdown, if anything. But um, for me, it's just like, okay, you know whatever let's see what's up with this person so just trying to bring it down to a human level i think is really important too amazing and i couldn't agree more with that last point just treating these athletes like human beings i mean thank you so much for sharing those sort of three tips and a bit more than that as well which is great out of interest how can people connect with you online okay so my website is um first dash hyphen firstharmony.com um, and I'm also on Instagram which has a lot of the uh, all my Instagram posts are you know I'm, I'm not posting a lot so the videos from my clients are on there so that's first harmony for the number four athletes um, first harmony for athletes I'm on Twitter but I use it a lot so those two platforms are, are probably the best way to connect amazing to all the listeners listening in the instagram link and the website link will be on my blog post relating to this podcast i mean it's been such a joy chatting with you today thank you very much you're very welcome and thanks for having me it's awesome to talk to you wow um how to sum up that awesome conversation with mina as you've probably imagined uh it's very rare on this podcast show i'm pretty speechless but look um with regards to what mina does i hope you enjoyed that conversation for me i was pretty speechless near the end with regards to the work she did in a hospice and actually opened up my eyes to look at life totally differently as well. From today's podcast topic, I hope you've got a better understanding how energy therapy is applied in the elite sport and how it's applied to day-to-day -day life as well. And it's just having that awareness, that education. And I hope this podcast has provided you this education of something you never, you didn't know, because that's the same for me. This was all new to me learning from Mina. And actually, I'm so lucky enough straight off the podcast to really experience one of her energy therapy sessions. And I have to say, I did experience what she said, what she does with her clients. The I was in a very deep mental state. I could feel the warmth and actually the tinglings of the sensation during the session. But the biggest thing that I took from the session was how it really cleared my mind and how it sort of provoked so much more clarity in what I'm currently doing. So sort of as an end result should we say two days later I'm sort of doing a lot of running by the way I'm doing a lot of sprint training a lot of 10ks one of my goals is to do 10k under one hour and literally I did a run two days after the session I did with Mina and literally I did it one hour and five minutes and it was mainly because I just had so much clarity I was so much more relaxed also my energy levels were really on peak as well as much as that Mina puts you in a deep state but when you finish because you have so much more clarity and you're so much more relaxed, 
my general energy levels were so much better. And it's something I'm going to be looking into moving forward. But I just wanted you to hear my experience from me in this session. And if you'd like more information from Mina, again, in the podcast show notes, there's a link to a website where you can contact her direct. But finally, from a sports career development perspective, I hope you've got a better understanding that, you know, Mina's career started in the music industry then worked in a hospital environment and now she's working with elite athletes i wanted just to share this final point with you that our careers can always change it can always pivot but without a doubt with mina's area of expertise but also gift as well if i can bracket that anything's possible with regards to your career journey and you can learn so much from different experiences from your past which can support you for your future in where you want to go as well. So look, I really do hope you've enjoyed this podcast chat. I would really appreciate if you could subscribe to the show, leave an honest review from your experience, listen to this episode, and most importantly, apply Mina's career tips right at the end if you want to work with elite athletes. Remember, they are awesome people. They are that superhero figure, but treat them as normal human beings like how you like to be treated. So on that note, apply Mina's tips, put them into practice today and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Mina said, life is so precious and it's important to live to our fullest, but most importantly, live to our full potential.